0: Welcome to How Leaders Lead. I'm Kula Callahan, here to bring you another edition of Three More Questions with David Novak. David, I'm so glad to see you. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing fantastic, and I can't wait to discuss the conversation that uh, we had with Annie Young Scrivener, the CEO of Wella, one of the world's leading beauty companies. And didn't you just love all the little insights she gave us into the the industry? You know, she talked about the skinification of hair care. What'd you think about that? Explain that to everybody. And then everybody, you got to go listen to the whole episode because it's terrific.
0: Well, first of all, I was very into your self-reflection on your hair game as she talked about the skinification of the hair industry. She mentions, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, everybody started getting really into super specific skincare products. So you had a serum for the morning, a serum for the night, an eye cream, a face cream for the winter, one for the summer. And now people are starting to do that with hair. And I got to tell you, David, you got a great head of hair, but you could probably use a scalp mask. If uh, what I learned from Annie is correct. Well,
1: that that's probably true. And I probably ought to work on this skinification while I still have the hair. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: exactly right. right. Let's
1: move into the three questions before we bore people with my hair problem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Question number one. You asked Annie what surprised her most about being a CEO. And she said that being a CEO is awfully lonely. Her advice for combating that loneliness is to surround yourself with people who help shape your thinking. David, I'm curious, was this your experience as you transitioned into the CEO role? And if it was, how did you handle it?
1: Well, I have to tell you, I never really felt lonely uh, as a CEO. I mean, obviously, when big decisions have to be made, it comes down to you making it. And that's when I think people have that lonely feeling because, The company and where it's going is going to be based on what you decide. But, you know, I never made those decisions alone. You know, I I always got people in the room that knew more about the subject, more than me, or people who I knew could add value if they didn't know anything about the subject. And we would really talk about the issue at hand, and then I would make the decision. I, I never really felt that lonely. There were times when, when it was really tough in the sense that when you have uh, challenges or the sales may be down, the profits may be down, you know, as the leader, you you feel accountable for that. You know, that's your your job. I always felt like if anything went wrong in the company, you know, uh, it was my fault because there was obviously something that I could have done to maybe keep us from going in in the wrong direction. And, you know, so for me, you know, that's where I think the, the pressure really, really comes, is that accountability you feel to make sure that you're always taking the company to the next level.
0: I think it also, David, speaks to the importance of self-awareness, because if you have developed that self-awareness, and then you encounter these feelings of loneliness— if you really know yourself, it tends to be easier to pinpoint what the root cause of that loneliness is. So as you said, if it feels lonely because you're you're the only one carrying that accountability to the company because something is going wrong, then you can take steps to then solve the problem and combat that loneliness if that's the emotion that you're feeling. So I think that self-awareness, obviously, we talk about that a lot on this podcast. But I think, you know, one of the reasons why it's so important is. Because when you encounter these emotions or feelings, maybe it's loneliness or isolation, you have a better idea of how to navigate that and get through it quicker.
1: Yeah. And for me, it was involvement. You know, getting my team involved in the decision. So it became a a we decision, not a me decision. And, you know, there is one maximum leadership, which I totally believe in more than probably anything else. And it's if you have no involvement, there's no commitment. And so it's a win-win by getting people involved, you know, that loneliness or that isolation all that goes away. And then the commitment comes from your people because you really got them involved and they feel a part of the decision where you're taking the company.
0: Question number two. When Annie explains how she develops her leader, she says that you have to know when to really dive in and help your team, and you also have to know when to allow them to fail. What's your take on this approach?
1: Well, you know, I've never been a big fan of the word empowerment. You know, it's just like one of those buzzwords that everybody uses. But I I do believe that what we're really talking about here is, you know, so-called empowerment. When I think about empowerment, I think about what it was like when I was teaching Ashley my daughter, how to ride a bicycle. She had training wheels on, okay? And then once she demonstrated that she could ride that bike well with those training wheels on, I took them off. And then, you know, I would be right with her until she was able to take off. And then once she could take off, I didn't have to worry about her ability to ride the bike. She she figured it out. So for me, I think what you want to do is you want to help people when they need the most help, and that's when they're learning their way. But once they learn their way and they know their job, it's your job to get out of the way and let them, you know, get the job done. You know, I learned something from the great Larry Bossidy, who we did a podcast with on this show. He's the former CEO of Honeywell. He says, you know, you take the joy of the decision away, you take the joy of the job away. And I always felt like you really wanted to get people in jobs where they had the talent, the know-how, and the ability to make that decision. And you give them that opportunity to make that decision. And they get that right as long as they don't fall off the bike. Once you start falling off the bike a lot, then you, know, you got to come in as a leader and intervene and, and maybe give them more coaching or, or figure out what, what's really the, the root cause of, of the problem that we're having.
0: Yeah, another thing we talk about a lot is how one of the greatest learning opportunities anybody can have is when they fail or when they're in a challenging situation. And so I think, I don't have kids, but I imagine parents who don't let their kids fail do a disservice to their kids because they never learn how to navigate hard things in life. So I love the analogy that you make with teaching Ashley how to ride a bike because you're not going to be there forever in the same way that you're not going to be able to make all the decisions for people that you put in positions of leadership.
1: Yeah. And, you know, when you think about failure, you really love the people who, who take those times when they fail and look at them as an opportunity to learn and to, to really go forward with more know-how than they, they had before. And people always say this, so I'm not saying anything you haven't heard a million times. It's, it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to fail. You just don't want to fail, make the same mistake and fail for the same reason two times in a row. You want learners who learn from what, what's happened in their business, in their life.
0: Annie Young-Scrivener has great insights on this topic as well. So again, if you've not listened to the whole episode, definitely go back into the feed, not only for the hair care tips, but also for her wisdom and insight around being a leader and dealing with failure. All right. Question number three. One thing Annie has done exceptionally well at Wella is honoring the history of the brand while still innovating and elevating it. David, you inherited a historic, iconic brand in KFC when you became CEO of Young Brands. How did you honor the history of it while also staying committed to product development and innovation?
1: Well, I think that KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell all had rich heritages. And we always talked about the founders and put them on pedestals and talked about what they did and how they built the business and how we wouldn't be where we're at if we didn't have our founders and we didn't have our customers. But you know what? You can't have people looking back in your company. I always say to every leader is, is, yeah, those are all memories of what's happened in the the past. But what you need to do is create new memories. You know, you got to create new memories of your organization. And people start saying, hey... Do you remember when we just did this or we did that? Or you know, when you have people talking about what they did together, that's a lot better than having to go back 35 years to talk about what somebody, somebody else does. You know, the worst thing that can happen, I believe, is if you're in a company that has a great heritage, is people are constantly saying, I remember when. I remember when is almost death of any culture because that means you're not doing it right now. And your job is, as a leader is to do those things right now to get people excited about what you're capable of and what you're making happen in the marketplace. And, you know, obviously product development and innovation and all the new things that you bring to bear, you know, those are things that could people get really excited about as well. So obviously, as a leader, you organize around those things, put the right resources behind it so that you're constantly creating new memories and new things for your customers, which is what it's all about.
0: Gosh, that is so good. I love this idea of honoring the past without functioning in it. And I feel a tiny bit convicted hearing you say that because I remember jobs I've had in the past saying pretty often, gosh, I remember when it was just the 7 of us and we were in this office every day making it happen and now there's a bunch more people and it feels a lot different and now that I look back on it, it did kind of kill the vibe of the culture that we were trying to build. So I love that advice of making new memories and really aligning the team around where the company can go.
1: And I really like how you coined that phrase is, you know, you need to honor the past, but you don't want to function in it. I think that's beautiful. That's a beautiful phrase and I'm going to remember it and I'm never going to give you any credit for it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not much change around here. All right, folks, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead. We're on a mission to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. And if you carve out a little time with us each and every week, we'll help you build the confidence you need to lead well.
1: And tune in this Thursday for my next conversation with Michael Walworth, the chairman and CEO of Yext.